It's the kind of story that makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. How does a person simply vanish without a trace in broad daylight, never to be seen or heard from again? 25-year-old Dorothy Arnold was the heiress of perfume importer Frances Arnold. As the daughter of a rich entrepreneur, Dorothy got a great education and graduated from the prestigious Bryn Mawr College for Women, where she majored in literature. She spoke several languages and dreamed of becoming a writer. She was smart, rich, beautiful, and popular in New York high society. Life was going great for the young woman. That is, until the day she mysteriously disappeared on December 12, 1910. 10.45 a.m. Dorothy leaves her room and goes downstairs. She meets her mom in the main hall and tells her she's going shopping to buy a new dress for her 19-year-old sister Marjorie's debutante party. The ball is scheduled for December 17th, five days after the incident. Dorothy's mother suggests going with her daughter to keep her company, but the young socialite refuses. And there's good reason for that. Dorothy's mom is seriously ill and hardly ever leaves the house. Mrs. Arnold doesn't notice anything strange about her daughter's behavior that morning. 11 a.m. Dorothy leaves the family's home in the posh Upper East Side of Manhattan. She takes $25 with her, or about $700 by today's rates. The sum didn't seem too out of the ordinary, since she was shopping for a ball gown after all. She's dressed well, as was typical of a woman with her social status, and she was carrying a large muff purse. She heads west for Fifth Avenue and then down toward Midtown Manhattan. It's about an hour's walk, but it probably took Arnold longer since the streets were icy and slippery. On her way, Dorothy meets several acquaintances. Later on, they'll all recall that she was in a particularly good mood. She even stopped in at a candy store on the corner of 5th Avenue and 27th Street for a box of chocolates. The clerk at the shop will also recount to detectives that nothing seems strange about Ms. Arnold's mood or behavior. 1 p.m. On 27th Street, Dorothy goes to Brentano's bookstore where she buys a collection of funny stories and essays. Upon leaving the shop, she bumps into her friend Gladys King. She's also been invited to Marjorie's party, and they discuss this event and chat for a while. Then Gladys excuses herself as she's supposed to meet her mom for lunch. 2 p.m. Dorothy waves a farewell to Gladys and heads home. She decides to go through Central Park on her way. At least that's what she tells her friend. And that was the last time anyone saw Dorothy Arnold. In the evening of December 12th, Dorothy still hadn't arrived home. But there wasn't any immediate cause for alarm. Dorothy was a grown woman, and she was out and about taking care of her own errands. Perhaps she was having a hard time finding the perfect dress. Maybe she met up with friends. When she didn't come home that night, her parents figured that she'd stayed at her boyfriend's. They sounded the alarm only when Dorothy hadn't come home by the next evening. They didn't go to the police, though. Not yet. Her father didn't want to make a stir. He was afraid of damaging his business reputation because of a possible scandal. The thing is, at that time, it wasn't quite common for a young single woman to date men and not get married. If the press wrote something about it, Mr. Arnold's good name would be ruined. 
He also suspected that someone could have abducted his daughter to demand a ransom from the well-off family. He didn't want to make things more complicated by giving publicity to this story. Plus, what if that gave other bad guys the idea of kidnapping his other daughter? It seems bizarre that he didn't go to the authorities right away. But you also must imagine what was going through his head at the time. Instead, the Arnolds turned to a friend of Dorothy's older brother. John S. Keith was a lawyer. He knew the missing girl well, and he had connections. So the family friend got down to business immediately. Keith interviewed Dorothy's friends, acquaintances, and shop assistants that worked in the young woman's favorite stores. Little by little, he started putting together a detailed account of Dorothy's last day. But there was still no information out there on what happened to her after she parted ways with her friend. Keith went to all the hospitals and mortuaries in New York and sent requests to nearby cities, but nothing turned up. He also searched the girl's room and found only one strange thing. There were burnt sheets of paper in the fireplace. He couldn't make out the text, but there were some flyers of ships carrying passengers from the US to Europe. It looked like this investigation would require more manpower. So Keith recommended the family hire a famous private detective agency called Pinkerton. Detectives checked passenger lists of all ships that were going to Europe. Their contacts across the Atlantic kept an eye out for a woman arriving by ship and matching Dorothy's description. Again, nothing was found. However, the young woman's boyfriend, George Griscom Jr., was in Europe at the time. Dorothy had met the 42-year-old Philadelphia native while she was in college. In December 1910, he was on vacation in Florence with his family. Perhaps the pieces of this puzzle were finally falling into place. Dorothy's parents had always been against her relationship with Griscom. So maybe the two went to Europe to secretly elope. The Arnold sent a telegram to Griscom, asking him what he knew about their daughter's whereabouts. He answered that he knew nothing. This reply didn't satisfy them. So on January 16, 1911, Dorothy's mother and brother came to the hotel in Florence where Griscom was staying to talk to him face to face. The girl had been missing for over a month by then, and her brother lost his nerve. He threatened bodily harm if Griscom didn't tell the truth. But he kept saying he didn't know where Dorothy was or what had happened to her. He also showed concern about her well-being. In his opinion, she might have decided to end her life. As proof of that, he showed them a letter she'd recently written to him. In it, she described how distressed she felt because she kept getting refusals from literary magazines that wouldn't publish her writing. The letter did indeed sound grim. Failure stares me in the face. All I can see ahead is a long road with no turning. Mother will always think an accident has happened. But that version seems too far-fetched. The girl was ambitious and was looking for popularity. She'd hardly be so discouraged by her unsuccessful literary attempts to harm herself. Dorothy's brother looked through the letters that Griscom had kept and decided that they didn't contain anything that could be useful in this investigation. Six weeks after his daughter's disappearance, Francis Arnold finally gave in. He invited journalists for a press conference and assumed that she'd been attacked while on her way home through Central Park. 
Seems unlikely that a popular and easily recognizable woman could be attacked in broad daylight without any witnesses seeing anything, but you never know. In any case, the police then joined the search. They did a thorough investigation, checking every square foot of Central Park. And still, no traces of Dorothy were found. They also verified George Griscom's alibi. A lot of eyewitnesses could confirm that on December 12, 1910, he wasn't even in the U.S., let alone in New York. Not a single shred of evidence that Griscom was connected with Dorothy's appearance was ever found. Besides, he himself spent several thousand dollars on ads in the newspapers where he begged Dorothy to come back. He told the press that he was going to marry her, even if her parents were against it. There's also the theory that she simply ran away. It was known that she had been feeling particularly down about the magazine refusals. In fact, it's believed that the burnt papers in the fireplace that had been found in the early days of the investigation were letters of refusal. Had the money she'd taken for a ball gown been really meant for a secret escape? The day before her disappearance, she'd also taken an additional $36, that's $925 by today's rate, to supposedly have lunch with some friends. Together with the dress money, she'd have around $1,500 to start a new life. But that's highly doubtful as well. Why would a rich socialite decide to abandon her friends, family, and home just because she was having a hard time kickstarting her writing career? Besides, the day of her disappearance, she wasn't carrying any bags big enough to fit clothes inside. And even if she could fit some in her purse, none of her outfits were missing from her room. All witnesses say she wasn't acting strange or secretive the day of her disappearance, so by all accounts, the woman just vanished. Dorothy's father finally concluded that she died as a result of some accident, although no body was ever found. Unfortunately, despite what would have been over $2 million spent searching for their daughter, Dorothy's family never did find her. The mystery is still unsolved more than a hundred years later. Alright, it's your turn. Which theory about Dorothy Arnold's disappearance do you think makes the most sense? Let me know down in the comments. If you learned something new today, then give this video a like and share it with a friend. But don't you disappear just yet! We have over 2,000 cool videos for you to check out. All you have to do is pick the left or right video, click on it, and enjoy. Stay on the Bright Side of Life!